tombs and treasures, texts and tells. You're listening to The Dirt with Dr. Dave. Digging through the archaeology, the history, the sacred stories of the ancient Near East will uncover a past that you never knew before. Get ready for The Dirt. Hello. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Dr. David Maltzberger. In our last episode, we discussed how it was that ancient Romans built a network of empire-wide highways that still see traffic 2,000 years later on those very stones. What was it that made those Roman roads so successful, and what was it like to travel across that network of highways from town to town? We even looked at where one might stop and spend the night as they traveled between points. Today, we want to continue and look a little while at the construction of an actual Roman road. What was the method that the engineers used to build that road? And then we'll hear some footage from the field as we traveled down some of these roads in ancient Asia Minor. We also traveled with a team of scholars who were using drones to map some of these Roman roads so that scholars all across the world could know precisely where they ran city to city. If you're ready to travel, let's get started. The building of an ancient Roman road was anything but a haphazard affair. Great pains were taken to assure that the via, the road, would be of a lasting nature. Roads that were exposed to heavy traffic or that were laid in areas that received large amounts of rain were paved with large polygonal blocks of flint or basalt that created a road of the very highest caliber. If a road was a minor one, however, uh, maybe the branch of a major highway, it was merely covered in pebbles. There were cases, however, in which for one reason or another, a major road was only graveled. Now, this might have been to the nature of the soil underneath. Maybe it was very, very rocky, hard to dig, and so in sections of the road, they might just lay a covering of gravel. Or it might have been due to lack of manpower or insufficient funding, or maybe even a combination of all three during certain periods of the empire. About the middle of the first century BCE, the Roman Plutarch commented on the straightness of Roman roads. He said, and I quote, These roads were carried straight across the countryside without deviation. They were paved with hewn stones and bolstered underneath with masses of tight-packed sand. Hollows were filled in, and torrents or ravines that cut across the route were bridged. The sides were kept parallel and on the same level. All in all, the work presented a vision of smoothness and beauty. And over the next century and a half, well into the first century common era, the engineering of roads improved still more. These VA Romana were laid out with the assurance that the exposed pavement would neither wear away quickly nor sink into the foundations under the continued pressure of passing traffic. Always the overriding goal of the engineer and road builder was to diminish the distance between points. And, of course, the most obvious way to accomplish that was the veritable straight line. Rome's engineers never hesitated to pierce through mountains, to bridge ravines, or cross marshes in order to maintain the directness of the route. 
So the foundations of roads varied upon the terrain being crossed. In a soft or marshy region, these foundations had to be set deep into the soil and solidly laid. In some areas, however, this ground was hard enough to allow the builders merely to set paving stones on the surface after it had been leveled. So no two roads were built exactly the same way. The general scheme, however, was similar. After the need had been determined, the Roman engineers staked out the basic path using a groma and corobates, the forerunners of our modern transit and rod. The road margins were marked off and the earth might be loosened with a plow. Trenches then could be dug along the edges of this proposed road to the depth that had been determined by the engineers as necessary to provide a firm base. Then the rest of the channel, the roadbed, was excavated and the loose soil was removed by the workers in baskets. These workers might be Roman soldiers themselves, or they might be hired workers in some of the regions. Of course, they might also be slaves. The lower level, the terminus, was pounded down with a large tamper by hand. And so now the road was, the roadbed was ready for laying a foundation. Most often, sand or lime mortar was used to form a level base called a pavimentum. Medium-sized field stones were next laid, and this formed the statumen, or the first course. Now, these stones might be cemented together using either clay or mortar, and the thickness of the statumen varied between 30 to 60 centimeters. That might be 10 to 30 inches. The second level, the rudis, was made up of still smaller stones that were mixed with either sand or lime or gravel or maybe even broken pottery sherds. A third level, known as the nucleus, was a hard cement-like mixture of either crushed gravel and lime or perhaps sand and stony clay. This nucleus might be 30 centimeters along the outer edges and up to 50 centimeters at the road's center. The cement mixture was then packed down with a stone roller that was dragged back and forth across it once it had been deposited. The final level, known as the sumum dorsum, this was the pavement upon which the traffic would run. Polygonal blocks of basalt or flint or granite, sometimes even porphyry, ranging from 10 to 15 centimeters in thickness, were laid upon the nucleus that was below while it was still wet. These large paving stones were often cunningly fitted together, sort of like a jigsaw puzzle, to prevent the rainwater from seeping beneath them and eroding the substructure. This dorsum sloped from the center downwards on both sides to force the rainwater to drain off. In the cities, conduits along both sides of the road ran beneath sidewalks that would carry the runoff away. Then a curb, sometimes as high as 45 centimeters, separated the sidewalk from the road proper. The width of Roman roads varied. In the mountainous regions, it necessitated tunneling and the cutting maybe of an escarpment along the side of a hill. The widths were kept to a minimum, sometimes no more than 1.8 meters or 2 meters wide.
wider bypasses were built at intervals along these narrow roads to allow opposing traffic to pass. In some places, scaffolding was even attached to a cliffside to provide a platform for yielding the right-of-way. But in general, roads provided for two lanes of traffic, sometimes measuring two and a half to three and a half meters in width. Near the gates of larger cities, the road's width would fan out to provide for the increased traffic in the vicinity. Roads that carried a large volume of traffic might measure as much as seven meters in width. That's around 23, 24, 25 feet. Roman roads were no simple affair. Now along each road at regular intervals of almost one English mile were placed what we call the milestone, the miliaria. The miliaria was inscribed with the distance of the marker from the Millarium Arium, the golden marker that was set in the Forum at Rome, which represented the center of the empire. A milestone denoted the name of the emperor who was responsible for the laying of the road, or maybe for its subsequent repair. Milestones that we have found lead one to assume that roads lasted an average of about 30 to 40 years before the strains of traffic and the elements necessitated some sort of repair. A Roman road was a carefully planned, well-executed highway that provided access to people all across the empire. And as you've heard, all roads ultimately led to Rome. With that orientation behind us, let's head out to the field in modern-day Turkey or ancient Asia Minor as we look at a section of highway in the far southwest, an area of road between the Smintheon and ancient Assos. Now, the quality of some of the recording is a little bit difficult. It's rather noisy sometimes in the background, and you'll forgive us. So let's listen to the sounds of the Roman road. I was joined in this adventure by my colleague, Dr. Daniel Browning. Dr. Browning has been interested in Roman roads and bridges for a number of years, and together we traveled along this ancient path. And here we are, we're driving down an actual Roman road in the countryside, just inland from Assos. Yeah, we're between Assos and the Smintheon, actually the Temple of Apollo Smintheus. And we have just hit a junction of two Roman roads. We're going to park and get out and look at it. It's pretty wild that this road is still drivable. Better than some in the U.S. Years. <laughs> <laughs> it's I'll crazy. Park, I'll park in this shady spot this here. Is, it's really not a bad road. It's uh, small field stones that have been laid on the edge of a hillside. Well, I'll tell you what, let's just drive this one to the end and come With back. a good border on the edge. And this road actually divides now and splits into two. And you can take either lane, the upper or the lower. We're rattling down the lower lane right now. This is crazy. We're in the middle of the countryside. And it's not very farmable. It's rough rocky going and the roadbed 
coordinates were given to us by Mark Wilson and he brought us a group of students earlier to check it out and they walked this road for several miles. Now the real question is how are we ultimately going to turn around and go the opposite direction? Ah, uh, that's Dr. Dave, always wondering about getting back out of the hole. <laughs> All right, this is way cool. This is about, what would you say, Dan, about seven feet wide? Uh, I, that may be stretching it. <laughs> <laughs> this path has uh, is bordered on both sides by a nice border of uh, larger stones, and it's heading downhill. You can hear the roughness of the road as we drive along. Okay, we're trying to turn around on the Roman road uh, right now. It's pretty crazy. Making our eight point turn. And considering the road is only seven feet wide at the widest portion, it's uh, a little difficult on the Nissan. But here we go. Now we're gonna head up the Roman road. Now we're gonna park and see where it goes down. Leaving our car behind, we walked downhill along the path of the Roman road over the rough stones that in antiquity we debated whether or not some dirt had been filled in between some of the stones to make it smoother. It likely had because in some points the stones that made up the dorsum, the pavement, were a little bit rough on the feet. We followed down and then ultimately this road just terminated. It stopped underneath a tree and it didn't go any further. We debated among ourselves whether it might have been warfare, the death of an emperor, some local calamity, something happened that took this road out of use. And you'll hear that discussion as we continue along. Okay, so we've been out walking about a half mile section of the road. Uh, that's a pretty steep climb uphill. I can see why in the ancient world, 15 miles a day was probably, you know, a great day's success story in travel. What do you think, Dan? I think so. I mean... Plus they were probably in better shape than us. Yeah, I, this was uh, an uneven road, a rocky path. You can hear the noise in the background as we try to drive back up the road. It's in great condition for a 2,000-year-old roadbed, slightly humped in the middle in order to allow both for drainage and you can actually see the near ruts in the road from the ancient cart traffic that made its way along this section. I have an idea that this road is a later road. One, because it's more narrow in width, and two, because it just ends down toward the bottom of the valley. It just stops. Something interrupted the construction of this section of the road. Could have been the fall of the Byzantine Empire. It could have been local environmental issues. Perhaps an earthquake struck the region and people were more concerned with living arrangements and the city than they were with a countryside road. 
But whatever the case, this road just abruptly stopped. We followed it on a little bit further to see if we could find uh, if it picked up again, but the stones just weren't there. There was a cart, there was a pathway where traffic has been going and uh, you can see where modern tractors have probably been pulling down to a local farm, but the road ended and we were left bereft. Being bereft didn't last very long as we were joined by some of our colleagues with their drone as they sought to map this section of the Roman road and posted online for other scholars to use these 3D maps that are available and reconstruct some of the events that happened in antiquity. The drone was a, uh, a typical drone that you can buy at your local electronics store. It's uh, fitted out with a 4K camera and along with a variety of GPS software, the images and the software then can draw together good material that will very, very precisely create a 3D model that can be laid over something like Google Earth. And you can see the actual terrain on all sides and then a good 3D model of the road itself. And it's also very precisely marked with GPS devices. That's one of the things that lacks uh, some of the databases that are available for scholars to use today is that the GPS coordinates aren't always exact. And so it's important to go back over these highways of antiquity and mark them precisely on a modern map. We'll pick up as the drone begins to take off and starts its journey across the countryside. The drone's gonna take off again. They're gonna try to map the section of the upper road. You can hear the drone humming in the background as it rises above us. It's moving up and now the drone began its journey down along this upper road that we didn't walk. It's about the same size and condition as the lower road. It's kind of interesting, perhaps the upper road was the main road and this bottom road that we went down that ended so abruptly was a secondary road that had been created to reach an alternate location and that's why it ends out. Perhaps funding ended, perhaps something untoward happened to the people in the region and they couldn't continue the construction. We're following the video of the uh, drone as it works its way across the countryside. You can see in the video both of the modern, uh, both of the ancient roads where they split apart and you can see the modern road built just above the ancient road about 40 meters. You can hear the traffic passing by on that upper road right now. This same section of the mountainside has been used since antiquity for traffic moving in and out of the city of Assos. The Romans, for some reason, chose to build just down from the edge of the escarpment. Uh, perhaps it was more comfortable in their day, perhaps it was uh, uh, easier and there weren't as many large stones uh, as there are further up the hillside. But for whatever reason, we have three roads that run basically parallel to one another, uh, moving toward their destination. You can just see the drone in the distance as it makes its way down this uh, main road of the ancient world. 
you can see it following the path the click beeps you hear in the background are the computer giving instructions to the operator and the operator taking photographs as the drone moves down the road it's amazing the work that went into this some of these projects were keep busy service projects for Roman military soldiers keep them out of trouble let them work on material that was beneficial to the Empire and at the same time beneficial to the military as they sought to move materials back and forth men armaments in times of need it's the same reason that the American road system was built up the interstate highway system in the 1950s to move the military from place to place in case of problems during the Cold War. The drone goes higher and lower depending on the terrain, skimming over the tops of the trees, avoiding a uh, disaster, that's right, <laughs> avoiding a disaster with any of the materials. As Dr. Browning and I stand here and watch the drone as it moves its way, its operator thumbs going back and forth on the control. You've probably all played with drones. Many of you, of you have them yourselves. Drones like this can uh, assist archaeologists in identifying the direction that not only that roads go, but can help us to identify ancient remains that we might not have noticed from ground level. And so utilizing not only photography, but also LIDAR, a form of radar that can be attached to many of the larger drones. The archaeologists can identify new places that might need examination or further research and uh, excavation. Having left the drone crew for just a little while, Dr. Browning and I journeyed further up the original road that we had visited to try to understand a little more of the nature of the road as it made its way out of Assos. Now we are at a second junction in the road. The one that we started down actually has another one merge into it. We followed the together road, I guess it's like interstate highways with the same number, for half a kilometer and then they split again, which we've already talked about. I'm now going to take the lower road because I just want to see where it goes. Okay. I'm first going to mark on my GPS the location of the split. All right, yeah, this lower road goes toward a gully on the far side that we always already saw from the modern road and so we don't know whether it dips down and tries to cross that uh, small chasm or whether it simply stops so we're going to find out where the road goes we're marking it so it can be uh, posted to a number of different websites that archaeologists use I'm also marking it so I can use this in some uh, high-level analysis in terms of um, accuracy. So what's the importance of this section of road? What's the importance of Assos? Why are some scholars concerned about the roads in this area, Dan? Well, the, we know about the roads, obviously, from some remains and from sources. And occasional sources will tell us about a road that went from point A to point B. And in this case, we know there was a road to Assos from the Smintheon, which we're going to visit shortly. 
Now we have come to the end of the road as far as the Nissan is concerned, although the path seems to continue. So we'll get out and look on foot for a little bit. Yeah, let's check it out. Let's see what we can find. It's kind of a rough section. It passes under a very low branch of a large evergreen tree. And we're gonna walk up and uh, see what happened to this road. It seems to have a curve that tries to feed back up to where the modern roadbed is, but it's been badly damaged over the years, perhaps by rainfall, earthquake, other disasters. Yeah, it looks like there had been a rock slide here in antiquity that sort of filled up this corner of the roadbed. Rocks coming down the hillside from above. That is an important thing in, in, in antiquity that the uh, Roman government required local magistrates to actually upgrade, keep up, maintain the roads in their regions. You know, in this case, uh, I don't know if your hearers will have this experience, but I do a lot of exploring out in the country and my country and in other countries and often you'll find a dirt path that's washed out so the locals have sort of built a little uh, a little bypass for the muck and that may actually be what we're looking at here it may have been easier to build a new road above or below the original one I would suspect the upper one is the new part and that this part washed out as it appears prone to do yeah, it's a pretty rough section here, although you can see the way that some of the stones are set into the uh, roadbed. I mean, it was set on purpose. Here's a really good section of remaining pavement here, but it's higher than the ground level around it. And then there's a lot of big boulders here as we continue on. Continue on, we did. For the next several weeks, we continued across Asia Minor, marking the location of ancient Roman bridges, some which were in outrageously good condition considering their age. Some were quite picturesque. Some were very isolated. One in the middle of a large farming complex seemed to stand up. It was not uncommon in our, uh, in our survey to discover that the water of a marsh or the water of a river that an ancient bridge had originally spanned had changed course and was now sometimes more than a kilometer away, and a bridge stood out in the middle of a field no longer needed for those who traveled nearby. That brings us to the end of this episode as we come to understand the wonderful nature, the lasting value and quality of ancient Roman roads. I hope you've enjoyed our journey. I know I've enjoyed being with you. You can find out more about this episode and other episodes by going to our website, www.thedirtwithdrdave.com. Be sure to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts. Until next time, keep digging. Dirt with Dr. Dave podcast is written, recorded, and shoveled to you by yours truly, David Maltzberger. Any errors, omissions, mistakes, or unintentional conjuring of ancient Assyrian demons is my own darned fault. Our theme music was composed, performed, and recorded by Colin Tucker. You can subscribe to our podcast at www.thedirtwithdrdave.com.